Good morning, everyone. Amen. God is good. We want to welcome all of you here this morning. Uh, We want to just continue to pray. Uh, We're going to have a great day today. Uh, Brother Dave Scribbins from Beaverton, Oregon. Am I right? Beaverton or Tigard? Uh, He's he's from my tromping grounds up there in Portland. Highly recommended by Pastor Iverson. He is here today with us, and uh, uh, we just want to pray that uh, we all have open ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. I also want to just pray for uh, some before he comes. We just have a number of people that are sick and just going through some stuff today, and if we could just lift up different ones. Can we do that before I introduce uh, Dave to come and share the word? Father, we thank you that you are a healing God. And Lord, we know that we can approach the throne of grace in the time of need boldly to obtain mercy. And Lord, we just pray for strength for those that are going through physical issues in their bodies, Lord, in their families. Lord, we pray that you would just have your way in their life. Raise them for your glory and for your goodness, Lord. Let a testimony come out of your uh, just mercy in their life. We pray that you just continually bless them. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, Pastor Dave as he comes and shares the word this morning and this evening at 6 o'clock tonight. We ask you to just let the word have free course. Lord, we thank you that you're God. Uh, of, of deliverance and a God of healing, and we love you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to remind you tonight at 6, the sh- service will be starting sharply at 6, and we will be providing child care for that as well. Amen. Let's welcome Dave as he comes and shares the word of the Lord with us today. Amen. It's a privilege to be here, a real privilege. Thank you for hosting me. Love your pastor and his wife, Ray and Carol. Great people of God. Love them. You've got a good group here. It's obvious to me. Um, I'm a Texan. Truly. I was born in a town called Denison. Have you ever heard of it? Denison, Texas. Lived there a long time, I think about 60 days. (laughs) And then my parents moved us to Shelby, Montana. So I can't really claim to be a knowledgeable Texan, but I am a Texan. The Bible says that God has given us authority. Jesus had authority. He said, all authority belongs to me. And he told us to go into the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Have you ever looked at a scripture and emphasized different words in that text or that verse? 
If you think about it, all that I have commanded you can be a very personal word. What has God commanded you to talk about, to share? This book is what he has commanded me to share. I want to warn you today that some of the material that we're going to discuss is delicate, maybe even controversial. But these are the words that God has given me to share. And I'm going to ask your patience with me today, your tolerance, your goodwill, your love, your support, as we delve into a subject which is maybe a little different, but certainly biblical. I oversee a program or a ministry, it's a nonprofit organization called 423 Communities International. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your hearts with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And that is the essence of our ministry. We work with people. We started working with men with addictions. My specialty is pornography addiction. I told you we were going to talk about some delicate matters, didn't I? I already warned you. And since the inception of our program in the fall of 2009, we've had over 600 men join and find progressive sexual sobriety. It's been so popular up in the Beaverton, Portland area that we've even had women come out and start 423 women. We started a betrayal group for women whose boyfriends, husbands, and um, fiancés struggle with this addiction. And just recently, we started a young man's group, 423 Young Men, for guys 14 through 18 who also struggle with this. You might be surprised to learn that this addictive behavior starts normally somewhere around 10 years old. In his prepubescent years, a young man's curiosity about sexual matters skyrockets. And he doesn't know what to do with it. Particularly now, since the advent of the internet in the mid-90s, and with the free access to graphic pornography, young children are using porn during a time when their brains are plastic, very fluid, they say that, this is the research, that the male brain doesn't fully mature until the late 20s. I think it's a little earlier for female brains. If you think about that, during his teen years, this kid's brain is being marinated on porn. And by the time he's in his mid-twenties, he's married. He thought that would solve the problem. It didn't. He's got a kid. 
His wife catches him looking at porn, and all you know what breaks loose. Pastor gets a call. Uh, they're distraught, and it's a troubled time for the marriage. Should we be surprised that he's looking at pornography? Probably not. Because when he was 8, 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, and he had conflicts with his sister, or issues with his parents, or peer uh, approval concerns, or failing grades, went to porn. Made him feel better. Neuropathways were developed in his brain so that by the time he's in his mid-twenties and he joins my program, um, he's had a decade and a half of practice. And he cannot easily overcome this addiction. Can be done. And we're seeing it all the time. It is an exciting ministry when you see captives get set free. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading in verse 13. The second part of the verse. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, and by the way, the word there is porne. So you see, this is a biblical word. Is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in the spirit. Flee from sexual immorality, that is porneia. Flee from porneia. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually... Pornea, or pornizes himself, sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Lord, would you just give me freedom today? Give us all ears to hear and hearts to perceive, and eyes to see what you have for us this day. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. I think it's kind of interesting in that verse that Paul indicates that porneia is a unique kind of sin. All other sins, he says, are outside the body. But the man who commits porneia or pornizes himself, sins against his own body. So he does make a distinction between uh, porneia and all other forms of sin. I think that's kind of interesting. Some have called it the mother of all addictions. 
There are roughly seven and a half billion people in the world today. Nearly one half of all living persons, that's 3.7 billion people, are on the internet. 42.7% of all internet users view pornography. Folks, that's 1.5 billion people or 20% of the entire population are looking at porn on some routine basis. The largest porn site in the world in 2016, last year, garnered 23 billion hits. That's three times the size of our world's population. These numbers are staggering. 4,599,000,000 hours were spent on that same porn site in 2016. Let's put that into perspective. 4,499,000,000 hours is equal to 524,641,000,000 years. That's over 52 centuries of time were spent on a single porn site in the year 2016. What could we have done with 52,000, or 5,000, I should say, 5,200, that is, centuries? What could we have done with that time? We probably could have eradicated poverty, cancer, world hunger. Did I knock it over again? <laughs> and maybe even government corruption. What a colossal waste of time. I want to talk to you today about what we call the cycle of shame. Because this is how we believe this sin or addiction works. Let's start with a nasty, dirty, four-letter word. P. A. I. N. Pain. All of us have some of it at our core. It may take the form of loneliness, depression, anxiety, fear, apprehension, unforgiveness, bitterness, loneliness, boredom. It might have its roots in childhood traumas. It could be stressors of a variety of kinds, including conflicts with people. I'm going to try a little magic trick with you. I need a volunteer. How about a young person? That's great. Come on up, and I hope this works. It's a good gimmick when it does. What's your name? Callie. Callie, how are you doing today? You're good? Okay, I'm going to predict her next word. You can sit down. Thank you, Callie. Everybody says they're good. Callie, thank you. Give her a hand. She did a good job. 
I'm sure glad you didn't say fine or all right. Would you guys do me a favor? Uh, I'd like to have the books that um, we have out here passed out, and I'd like you all to take one to use during the message today. I'm going to refer to several pages there, and I'd like you to follow along. So just, uh, there's only 30 copies, so you may have to share with uh, your husband or wife or family. So everyone take a copy that can and read on with each other. Now, if you want to keep the book, you can. It's uh, $10, all right? And I think this is a good book. I'm the author, so I have to recommend it, okay? Um, but there's several reasons I think you might like to keep it. And if you want to keep it, go ahead and mark, it, mark in it. But then you owe me 10 bucks, all right? There's several reasons I think you might want to keep this book and buy it for your own. Let's start with it's scriptural. I don't think you could turn to a page in the book and not find scripture. Secondly, it's endorsed by Dick Iverson. He's one of your elders at large. You can see right on the second page of endorsements, when you've come to the end and realize that you can't win the battle by yourself, this book, The Pursuit of Pornea, will give you hope. It's not only practical, but it's supported by scripture. It's an honor to say that Dave has been my friend for 35-plus years. I love that man, by the way. Dick Iverson, founder of City Bible Church and one of your elders at large. Another reason you may want to own it is that you might learn something to help others who are struggling, even if you're not. Here's another good reason. It's a little edgy. It's kind of controversial. We all like a little controversy, a little excitement in our lives, don't we? Read the book. You'll enjoy it. If you don't find it compelling and you buy the book, call me and I'll give you your money back. That's a pretty good guarantee, isn't it? All right. Thank you for that shameless plug of my book. All right. The reason we always respond in the affirmative when asked how we're doing, I'm good, I'm fine, that's code for I'm a rock. I have no problems. I'm a stud. I'm Superman. I'm an island, invincible, invulnerable, capable and without weakness. My unwillingness to be transparent, real, and authentic could be a self-preservation instinct that betrays a form of weakness in itself. The happy face I wear to spare others or perhaps appear professional could be nothing more than a mask covering the pain resident in my soul. Envision the teen boy in an oversized hoodie, eyes covered with long hair, ears plugged with music, 
His body language is easy to read, isn't it? He wants nothing to do with you. A host of adolescent apprehensions are fueling his early patterns of isolation and secrecy. Self-protective habits evolve into rituals of comfort and get reenacted over and over and over again. Will he outgrow his withdrawnness and his mistrust of the outside world? Maybe not. In due course, he may learn how to portray an attractive persona. And he will adopt a more sophisticated wall of protection. One that is harder to detect as an adult, but present nonetheless. You see, folks, emotional pain transcends gender, time, space, age, class, culture, and national origin. Handle me with care. In moments of honesty, I will admit I am fragile. Every person is. And by the way, the ushers are kindly helping me. I'd like all of you to take a pen. I want everybody to have a pen and two small pieces of paper. And we'll be using those in a moment. Everyone have a pen and two small pieces of paper. Thank you. A job loss, a car wreck, a divorce, or even a harsh word. And it can break me or you, sometimes beyond emotional repair. All of us are broken people. Addiction, let's talk about addiction. The cycle of shame begins with the four-letter word pain, P-A-I-N. We all have some emotional pain. I, I play racquetball about three times a week, religiously. A couple hours a shot. And I will tell you, there's a price to pay. And the price is a dirty four-letter word, P-A-I-N. But there's a pain worse than physical ailments and joint aches that come with the aging process for guys who don't want to grow up with dignity, like me. And that's the emotional pain we're speaking of. Addiction is the way that we soothe our broken hearts and tender, wounded souls and deal with the pain of our existence. Turn, if you would, to chapter uh, 2, I think it is, uh, page 16. And I want to just read this section to you. Addiction comes from the Latin word addictus. This is at the bottom of the page 16 means to yield or assent or to sell figuratively to devote or sell out its etymology points to two original Latin words ad and desir those who display addictive behaviors are declaring their allegiance to an activity which ultimately takes control of their lives addictions are described in various translations of the ancient biblical literature strongholds, powers, this is biblical folks, fortresses, the thief, principalities, cosmic powers and world forces of this darkness, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Addictions are destructive. They represent a supernatural power 
that is capable of squeezing every last vestige of life from those who yield to their dark influence. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Addictions steal life. They destroy hope. And they kill destinies. Addictions are demonic in their source and intent. Folks, this is a real thing. When we yield to addictions, and there's two types of addictions. There's chemical addictions, and there are process addictions. A chemical addiction might start with overuse of alcohol. It's something you ingest, like cocaine, or marijuana, or methamphetamines. Process addiction is a little different. You don't ingest anything, like gambling, sex, video games. That can be an addiction. Work. You've heard of workaholism. Unnatural attachments to people and causes. But the experts tell us that whether they are process addictions, like the use of pornography, or sexual activities that are not godly, it's a highly addictive um, problem, or chemical addictions. They operate exactly the same in our brain. They release a naturally producing chemical called dopamine into the pleasure centers of our mind. And we feel no pain. Now, this is a critical thing to consider. Take, for example, the husband and wife who are in a constant state of disharmony. They have an argument. And like so many spats in the past, they can't resolve it. So she heads to the refrigerator and goes to bed. When she's in bed, he heads to pornography on the computer. Both of them are going to some form of addictive behavior that mitigates the pain of their problem right now instead of taking the courageous stand of working hard with outside help to resolve the conflict. It's the easy way out. And the terrible truth about addictions, especially the mother of all addictions, that one that Paul indicated was a little unique from all other sins, is that it flat works. For a moment in time, a man forgets all about the conflicts that he's experiencing with his wife. He forgets about her completely. This is not her problem. This is not her fault. His poor news probably dates back to the time he was 10, many, many years before he even met her. It predates their relationship. But the man is medicating and anesthetizing his pain. He has developed those neural pathways in his brain, and he cannot not use. And as I said, I get these guys in their mid-twenties. Most of our program is for guys under 30. I mean, that's who God has brought to us. 
but we do have a smattering of 30s and 40s and 50s, even a few 70-year-old plus. And the reason is that pornography is the three A's. It's affordable, accessible, and anonymous. And this has been true since about the mid-90s when America Online introduced their disc to every person, I think, in the entire world, certainly in the United States. And again, what 14-year-old boy can resist the sexual temptation dangling in front of his fingertips? I would not have been able to that age. I got two rules for smartphones and kids. And some of you may disagree with this. Again, I told you the book was somewhat controversial. Don't give smartphones to dumb kids. Rule one. Rule two. When it comes to sex, all kids are dumb. That's just the way it is. Sex is way too powerful. It's a gift from God that he gave us when we're ready to use it. That is an amazing gift to be retained for the marriage covenant between one man and one woman for life. So we start with the pain in our souls. It's real. And addiction helps us to soothe that pain. It takes the edge off of pain, doesn't it? It works to make us feel better in the moment. If there were only two aspects to the cycle of shame, that would be great. We'd be done. Feel pain? Medicate it. Go to porn. You feel better. The problem is it doesn't last. And when it stops, it stops hard and cold. And the man caught in the cycle of shame will always feel shame for his behavior. Just happens. He's got pain he can't reconcile and deal with. He goes to his addiction. In this case, we're talking about porn use or some form of bad sexual choice like strip clubs or one-night stands or prostitution. And when he's done using, he feels such shame. Now think about it. Shame is a form of pain, isn't it? It's internal pain. So the shame compounds the pain of the issues he didn't want to deal with in the first place and rather go to porn to medicate. So now his pain has come with even greater paralyzing force. No man or woman can stand up under the pressure of toxic shame. You cannot talk yourself out of it. You can say all you want about your worthiness before God. And while you may not be worthy, you do have worth. And yet shame says you are worthless. 
The man caught in the cycle of shame feels horrible, and he cannot deal with that pain. Turn to page 20. I want you to hear these words. Somewhere down in the mouth, the middle of the book, under the scriptures you see it near the top, you see the words, shame cripples me. Do you see that? That's where I'll start reading. See in that second paragraph, about the middle. Shame cripples me. I become in my own mind worthless. I loathe myself. If others really knew me, they would also despise and hate me. If they hate me, then it is for good reason, because I too hate myself. I am intrinsically worthless. I am not worthy of love or lovable. I must continue because of this to hide and isolate my true identity from the world around me. I am all alone. No one understands. I am the walking dead. And so goes the sad internal plight of the addict. In the shame phase, I like to say the men that I work with live in never, never, never land. Let's talk about never, never, never land. This is where a man makes promises he cannot possibly keep. Here's a typical promise. I will never, 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 never. And I know I've said this 10,000 times before, but this time I mean it. I will never, 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 never cross my heart, hope to die, stick needles in my eye. Never, never, I'm done. Never will I do that again, ever. Folks, that promise he cannot possibly keep. It's a part of the addictive ritual. Because it, too, like the drug, makes him feel a little better. But in moments of clarity, even he will admit it is not possible for him to keep that promise. It is nothing more I hate to be so direct. That promise is nothing more than a God fantasy which helps to perpetuate his sex fantasy. It's a part of the addictive ritual because he is a promise maker. But he cannot be a promise keeper. He is suffering from toxic shame, and his shame lives in darkness and secrecy and isolation. We teach in our program, you are as sick as your secrets. You've got to come out, and healing begins with full disclosure and honest confession, not with just anyone but with a group of people who have proven themselves trustworthy and who also, like you, suffer from the same addictive behavior. The shame must be addressed. It cannot be ignored. A man cannot stand up under the toxic weight of shame's crushing power. He will repeat the cycle of shame over and over and over again until he destroys himself because alone... He cannot 
find hope. Now here's an interesting kind of paradox to all of this. Can a man who's suffering in the cycle of shame function at a high level while engaged in his sin? You think the answer is yes or no? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Turn to page 47, please. Let's start at the bottom. A man can function at a very high level and still be caught in the cycle of shame if he learns to compartmentalize and become two persons in one. Here's how it works. Starting at the bottom of page 47, last paragraph. The incongruity between a man's belief system and his behavior patterns is a setup for mental instability. Fear of exposure drives him deeper into isolation and, of course, widens the gap between opposing inner forces. He perceives himself as a liar and a social outcast. He hopes for but remains unassured of God's love and forgiveness. He is overwhelmed with feelings of hypocrisy, a condition that hamstrings this man's efforts to effectively serve his family, church, and community. The Christian who is active in his sex addiction may seek to resolve the inner conflicts, or this inner conflict, by forming separate personas as the occasion arises. This is where it gets bad, folks. He assumes his bad self-character when he wants to view pornography, yet identifies as a good guy with his brothers and sisters at church. If a man's contrasting value systems begin to function independently, he is in danger of becoming two men in one. The addict may choose not to recognize his duplicity by living in denial for a time. But in moments of clarity, he concludes that that is not possible to satisfy both his desire for porneia and his hunger for God. This realization pushes him to the emotional brink where the dark pit of despair and utter aloneness beckons him like, siren, like a siren of final destruction. Could God's concern for our mental well-being be in part the reason Jesus warned us against this? He said no one can serve two masters. Did he not? A man of God addicted to porn is trapped in an impossible situation. He cannot boldly proclaim Jesus who sets the captives free when he cannot get himself entangled from the tentacles of pornea. <clears throat> How can he inspire his sons and daughters to be sexually clean when he keeps a hidden stash of favorite pornography on his laptop? In 423 men, we say, you can't get clean till you come clean. Jesus promised because everything starts with the truth. And Jesus promised the truth. The truth will set you free. Oh, folks, this is so, so important. 
I will confess to you that I myself was a pastor of a church and I was on a 35-year cycle of shame. I'm going to talk to you about the ultimate in hypocrisy. You're looking at it. In my young years as a pastor of a church that grew to about 300 people, I actually could preach a pretty decent sermon. But I had a rocky marriage, and that was a a source of huge pain for me. And I felt alone. I felt betrayed. I felt angry at God. I felt all kinds of horrible uh, feelings. And my addiction was pornography. I never had an affair. I never... uh, Uh, chased women, nothing like that. And I tried to treat all the sisters in my church with respect, like sisters and the older women, like mothers, as Paul said. But every once in a while, especially after an argument with my wife, I'd go out to the Circle K store. And I actually prayed as I entered the store. My prayer went something like this, Oh God, please do not let the clerk behind the counter be a member of my youth group. You following me here? And I'd ask for a Playboy magazine or a Hustler magazine, which were kept behind the counter. And I would take this home, and I would use this magazine. And after I was done using, what did I feel? Shame. I'd feel massive shame. And I'd throw it away. Once I took that pornographic magazine, I lived up in the Seattle area, and I put it in a plastic bag with a bunch of bricks and rocks, and I took a ferry ride across to Bainbridge Island, and in the middle of Puget Sound, I took that bag and I threw it overboard because I was so disgusted with my behavior. And I let it sink, I hoped it would sink, (laughs) to the bottom of the sound, thinking I'm done with it. But I could not end it. I never could end my addiction until I got into a recovery program with other men And I learned two very important principles, which we're going to share tonight. By the way, I want you all here tonight. I'm not saying you have to be. This is America. Right? And Texas, you know, you guys are the Americans of Americans. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's the land of the free. You don't have to be here. I'm just saying, I want you here. If I didn't have such a bum knee from racquetball, I'd kneel... But I will anyway. Please come and do something else. Bring someone with you. Bring a friend. Bring your mom. Bring your teenage kids. Bring your neighbor. Pack this place out. This is a message we have to hear and embrace. This isn't irrelevant. This is relevant stuff. Thank you, bum knee, for giving me one more kneel. Here's the ultimate in hypocrisy. After I was done using that magazine and throwing it into the depths of the sea, I actually was invited to write an article about the dangers of pornography. And I did so for the local paper. 
And I even mentioned the Circle K store. And the owner of that store was kind of a passing friend of mine. I saw him and I talked to him when I'd come in. And I mentioned the Circle K store in this article about the dangers of pornography. What a hypocrite. I'm writing anti-porn articles for the newspaper implicating the Circle K store. They didn't come knocking on my door and force me to take that magazine. I did that of my own free will, and the guy called me when he saw the article. He actually called me to talk about this. I never returned his call. This, folks, is the ultimate in hypocrisy. I didn't want to live this way, but I couldn't stop. We have two options when we're caught in the cycle of shame. Repeat the cycle or break the cycle. Those are our only two options. If we repeat the cycle, we will eventually die. This sin would have killed me if it had not been for a miraculous intervention that I experienced about 20 years ago through a program much like 423 Men. You cannot plateau at a level of acceptableness because you cannot argue or negotiate with a terrorist. And Satan, my friends, is a terrorist. His objective is total destruction of you. His strategy is addiction. And folks, it flat works. Kill or be killed. That's it. We're in a war. You cannot manage your addiction. Let me talk to you about sin management. Here's what sin management is. It's finding a level of sin that's high enough or infrequent enough to effectively deliver that small dose of dopamine that you long for, but low enough to avoid detection by or at least major disapproval from God. Does that even make sense? Of course not. But this is how we think as addicts. Tonight we're going to talk about breaking this cycle of shame. And folks, it can be done. I promise you. I promise you. I've seen 600 men, over 600 men, experience progressive sexual sobriety by being a part of the 423 men program. And now we have 423 women who have stepped forward. And, and women, they have a double layer of shame here. If a man is involved in sexual exploits, oh, boys will be boys. This is what the culture teaches. He's almost considered a stud if he's had plenty of women. There is such a horrible double standard in our culture. Because if a woman is involved in that capacity with a multitude of men, She's considered other words I will not repeat in church. You see the double standard? So when a woman steps out and says, yeah, I, I struggle with sexual temptation and thoughts and activities and pornography and, 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 and sexual affairs that I haven't even confessed to my brothers and sisters at church. If a woman has that, for her to come out and be honest about that, there's a, there's a double layer of shame she has to fix and work on and address in order to get well, 
So the sisters in our congregation, and by the way, we, I belong to a mega church. I think there were there's somewhere between six and 8,000 people in our church. And our church highly regards and supports and, and uh, approves of this ministry. Our pastors and some of the elders have given endorsements in, in the book. It's called the Jesus Church Network up in uh, Beaverton, the Portland area. So we are so proud of our men because every man that comes to see me has to exhibit two character traits. And women, they've got to do this with even greater commitment because of the reasons I've just described. Those two character traits are courage and humility. When a man comes to do his intake with me, and I've done personally over 600 intakes with men, personally, myself, over eight years, and a man comes to talk to me, he doesn't know what's going to happen next. Can you imagine? I must feel he's coming into the church. He doesn't know what I'm going to say, who I am. And the first thing I do is lavish on him uh, all kinds of accolades, like you're a man of courage and you're a man of humility. The Bible says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if a man has the humility and the courage to come see me for an intake and then get into group... He's a man that has earned my automatic respect. Men respect men. And people who respect people, well, our program is based on nothing less than respect. We have to respect one another. No matter where we're at in this process. And I tell the guys when they come to see me, you, you've got to respect me. I expect that of you. But I promise you this, I respect you. You're no better than me, and I'm certainly no better than you. We're in this battle together. When is the church going to quit the facade and open this up to the reality of what is occurring right below the radar in front of our very faces, but we don't want to deal with it because it's embarrassing or it's impolite? Somehow Jesus, in my view of who Jesus is, didn't really care much about political correctness or etiquette. He wasn't the most polite dude on earth. And we've got to get to the point where we can say the truth in love, but break down the barriers, take off the mask, become real, transparent, and authentic with each other. If the church isn't going to do this, What's the point? I like that. Who said that? What's the point? Amen, my sister. What's the point? There is none. Here are the two foundational principles we're going to talk about tonight. And again, I there's three things I want to view. I want you to write down this information on that single piece of paper. You've got two pieces of paper, and this is what I want you to write down in one of them. And we're going to do this now, and we're going to close. I hope I haven't preached too long. Are we okay? Good. Thank you. I hope you find this information compelling. There's several things I'm going to ask of you. So the first thing, I want you to write down this information I want to, uh, on your uh, piece of paper, one of them. That's info at 423communities.org. 
info at 423communities.org. You can contact me anytime on that. The next one is our website, 423communities.org, www.423communities.org. And the third one is my personal phone number, 503-880-2734. If you or you, anyone you know is struggling with this issue, I want you to call me. And I promise you, I promise you, your call will be kept confidential and anonymous. We're going to try something this weekend. Pastor Ray said, how long do you want to stay? And he suggested an evening meeting. And I said, that's great, because I'll, I'll have two messages. And uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, I'll tell you about what we're going to address tonight. But I said, how about if I go home Tuesday? Because on Monday, I want to meet with any uh, men who are interested in getting help. And we'll organize, if you, if you call me, or call Pastor Ray, or email me at info at 423communities.org. Tell me, I, I heard you in church today, and I, I do want some help. Uh, I promise you, we'll figure out a way to meet with you and some other guys from this church on this issue with Pastor Ray and myself. If you're a woman who has some struggle in this department, you're also welcome to do exactly the same thing. And I will meet with you tomorrow, sometime on Monday, in a private, anonymous location with Sister Carol. And we'll work, and I've already run this by Ray and Carol, they're all for it. We'll work out a way to create a methodology or a group uh, to help you deal with this in the context of a community. Because without community, you can't solve this problem. You cannot do it alone. It's impossible. So tonight we're going to talk about the two foundational principles for our program. Number one, you can overcome sexual sin, but you can't do it alone. It cannot be done. Number two, bad sexual behavior is not about sex. This is a very uh, freeing piece of information. It's about all the other things that lead you to use sex as a medicating device. Now, I'm not talking about godly sex between a man and wife. That's a beautiful gift of God. In fact, I have an entire chapter in the book on marital disclosure. And I talk about sex. It may not be the best thing in the world, but I will have to say guilt-free sex could be maybe very close to the top of the list. And guilt-free sex can only be had in the context of marriage. By the way, is it possible to run to the very front of the uh, program? I'd like to introduce you to my family. Is that okay with you? To get a little bit of a context about who I am and so on. Uh, these are my children, my two youngest. That's Robert and Rachel on the first day of uh, school. Robert is a senior, and Rachel is a freshman this year. Uh, that's my attempt at a selfie. <laughs> I'm not real good at it, but you can see uh, that I love my kids. There's Robert and Rachel. His hair is growing a little bit longer. And you may wonder, well, where's mom in all of this? Well, mom's in the next picture. Mom is a beautiful soul. And um, a year and a half ago, 
uh, she died of leukemia. Uh, she was the joy of my life. And that picture before was, a, was a, my snapshot of uh, Robert and Rachel and myself. We, we came to visit the graveside again on Mother's Day. This was my wife. She was just an ama- She died a few days before her 51st birthday. Young lady. And I can tell you that the grace of God works in this area of sexual purity, whether you're married or whether you're single. I can attest to that in my own personal life. And I can tell you this too. The addiction does not get solved by getting married. Oh, I can have all the sex I want. I don't need this addiction anymore. That's not how it works. Because the addiction is nothing more than a medication for the issues and pain and sorrow and sadness and disillusionment and dis- dis- dismay and-, and grief and disappointment that you have experienced in life. So getting married isn't going to solve that. Because it's not about sex. Those are the two foundational principles. You can overcome your bad sexual behavior, but you can't do it alone. One. And two, your addiction to sex is not about sex. It's about deeper things. Now, if the stats are true, and I have no reason to believe that they're not, 60% of the men in this church are looking at porn regularly. Tonight's message will present a biblical pathway to recovery. That really works. The gathering tonight is for every man, woman, and child. I'm talking about 12 to 14 and older who has tried and failed to stop bad sexual behavior. But it's also for anybody who cares for people like that. And it's also for your friends and neighbors. I want you to fill this church. By the way, I was telling Pastor Ray, I I believe that this church, and he in his own ministry, he's a a man of God. I love this guy. And and Ray and Carol are going to see uh, the best days of their ministerial practices ahead. Their best days lie before them. There'll be a day in this church where you won't have these empty seats. There's no reason for that. Do your part today by filling up these seats tonight. I promise you, it will not be boring. Just tell them your guy's going to talk about sex. That'll get him here. Okay? This message will apply to all broken people. Who here is a broken person? Come on, everyone raise their hand. We're just broken. That's who we are as humans. But God has a redemptive plan filled with hope that gives us the confidence to move forward and to conquer overwhelmingly in the face of every obstacle and opposition the devil may throw at us. We'll open it up to questions and answers and then we'll meet with men and women tomorrow from your congregation who are interested privately in a safe environment. So on the second piece of paper, and this is how we'll conclude, I want everybody to write something. So you have a piece of paper and a pen. Is there anybody without a pen and a paper? Because everybody, I want every single person in this church to participate. There's a reason for this. And the reason is I want perfect anonymity. I protect the people in our program. I'm like a dad, you know. I am a dad. I got seven kids, by the way. I've been married twice. These are our our youngest ones. I had five children from my first marriage, and 
and two for my second. And my sons, like you, Pastor Ray, are involved with you in ministry here. And by the way, uh, that daughter-in-law of yours, Maria, oh my, I want to thank you and your child for waiting to deliver, at least until the end of this message today. Because by the looks of you, that could happen any second now. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) You have a beautiful daughter-in-law, beautiful sons, you have beautiful family, beautiful church, beautiful people. God is so good to you. And your best days are ahead. Where was I going with that? Oh, really? The other daughter-in-law. You definitely have beautiful daughters-in-laws. That's right. John and um, Kathy uh, brought me to church this morning. Thank you. You are blessed. You are blessed. And you're going to be even more blessed. This church has a future. You own this building outright from what I hear. And, uh, man, you're just poised. You're ready for a great move of God. And you've already had that, but even greater. Even greater. And it's going to start with the authenticity and the realness and the transparency that we're talking about today. Don't let anything stop you from, one, doing the, buying my book. Okay? And by the way, I, I, I'm not in it for the money. I don't want to make a buck. All the money for that goes into the uh, nonprofit anyway. I don't touch it. I, get, I, I sell the book for a little more than I buy it for, but I don't take any of the profits. It all goes to the nonprofit. Okay? I don't care about your money. I care about you. You've got to make an investment. Buy the book. If you've earmarked it or scratched on it, you owe me the money anyway. (laughs) But if you haven't and it's perfect and you don't want to buy it, it's America, okay, put it back on the table when you go out or leave it on the the pew here. But I hope I don't see any. I want all 30 of those copies sold. And I think this is for you. I'm not interested in making a buck. I want to make a difference. I want to see this world a better place than I left it. And that's what you want too. And this this thing has got to come out in the open. We've got to deal with this thing. All right, so... That's the first thing. Buy the book. Ten bucks. Just give it to the usher or whoever. He'll give it to me. I'll put it in the nonprofit. Ten dollars. And, and if you don't get more than ten dollars worth of information out of it, you call me. I'll send your money back and keep the book. That's a promise. You can't beat that guarantee. Okay? okay? Buy the book. The second thing is invite someone here to church tonight. Fill these pews. Make certain that you've got to get this message out. If you care for people, get them here. Build this church. This is your local church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan has kept us in the dark on this whole issue of unhealthy sexuality. And it's time to expose his strategy and get the help we need and put a stop to it in our lives and the lives of people we know. Everybody can benefit from this. The third thing I want you to do is take that piece of paper. And every single person in this church, I want you to write something on that paper. If you need some help in this area, and I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward, they're going to collect these pieces of paper. I want you to write your name and phone number or email, and I'll share them with Ray. I'll share the men's with Ray. I'll share the women's with Carol. Other than that, it'll be perfectly anonymous. If you don't struggle with this, and you hate me, and you don't want to be a part of anything that I'm talking about, that's fine. Just write giraffe or 
goobers. I don't care what you write on the paper. But everybody's got to write something because those, if I just said those who are struggling with this, write something, you'd be looking around seeing who's writing. <laughs> right? We can't have that. We have to protect anonymity. So as a favor to that person who struggles, would you please just take that paper out and write something on it? Everybody, every single person, right now. Write, yes, I could use some help. Give your name and phone number. Just write help, name, phone number. And we'll contact you this afternoon or tonight. And we'll set up some kind of meeting for the men and a meeting for the women anonymously tomorrow. And then I'll leave on Tuesday. And again, if you don't want to be involved, just write hippopotamus. But write something so that the guy next to you doesn't think he's a weirdo. Okay, everybody participate. If the ushers could come forward and, and collect these uh, pieces of paper now, that would be great. You guys following the strategy here? You see what I'm trying to do? And, and by the way, we got a boardroom at the hotel I'm staying in that's very private. We could, I found out we could probably use that uh, to meet. So everybody put a piece of paper with something on it in this offering as it comes by. And if you uh, want some help in this matter and you want to participate with this uh, movement, this anti-pornography, uh, uh, let's kill pornea movement, uh, then just jot down, you could use a little help. By the way, addicts are the best people to help addicts. It doesn't work for us to impose leaders on people who, have, who struggle. The best leaders in our program are men who, and women who struggled with this and have found sobriety. And they're the ones who can help others. I think that's it for me today. Um, you still love me? You didn't really love me before. You, we okay? Okay, thank you. Brother Ray, I'm going to turn it back over to you, and thank you very much.